Hello and Merry Christmas from BBC One. Just time to look at the schedule for what's coming up on the rest of Christmas Day, as translated by your dad. At 5pm it's the Oh God Not That Again Christmas Special, followed at 6 by Seen It and Why Are They Letting That Wanker On The Television Still? Later on with drama in That Thing You Don't Watch and comedy with I'd Rather Eat The Contents Of The Cat's Litter Tray. And it's all finished up by the late movie, Fucking Love Bastard Cunt Actually. But now it's time for some zany antics as Ben Baker meets up with his pal, Phil Cartero, for Christmas Chart with the Stars. Oh, bloody hell, not them chicks. Channel quick, mum. Bleep, bleep. All I want for Christmas is spumes. I. You go chase your bliss, robot. That's fine. Entertainment for all the family. Christmas Eve on BBC One. At 8.40, Terry and June. Big dogs! <laughs> Ladies! Gentlemen! Let's get stuck into turkey. And everybody had the most wonderful Christmas ever. Mummy? Mummy made the gravy. A happy and a hearty Christmas. Merry Christmas. A very happy Christmas. Merry Christmas. A very happy Christmas. And to all of you born on Christmas Day, Happy birthday! And, and a Merry, Merry Christmas, Christmas to you, too. Whatever you do, don't have duck for Christmas. <laughs> Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. Happy. Christmas. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas! Very Merry Christmas indeed. Happy Christmas. Happy blank. And a very Merry Christmas from me. Get your turkey down your neck! And I'm Phil Catron. Despite the fact that we just did an advent calendar and technically that ends on Christmas Eve, we're, we're back in your ear holes again. Uh, and there's a special treat. This is a full length Don't Let's Chat, but it's Don't Let's Chat with a Difference. That's right. Trousers are on. Uh, completely on. That's not it, Ben. That's not it. It's, it's not it, is it? No, we, we're joined by some of our friends. Uh, we've got mini episodes of some of our favourite podcasts that we want to share with you. And uh, we'll be meeting up later on with Retrospecticus, Beatles Big Sort, Around the Archives, Looks Unfamiliar, and Daryl McLean, him off of the Elton John sings the Wombles type situations on Twitter. Uh, he he's joined us for an exclusive monologue, which he's recorded just for us. Yeah, and it's incredibly funny, and that's coming up uh, later on in the show. The most famous person we know. It's great. <laughs> you know, 
So think of this as, as a podcast selection box. Yeah. Rather than an episode of Don't Let's Chop. But as always, at the start of an episode, we do the events that happened on the 25th of December. We do, yeah. Yeah. So, zero AD. It's Jesus, isn't it? Jesus, Jesus Jesus is born in Bethlehem. 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 In in a manger. In a manger, yes. So uh, that's all there is, obviously, for Christmas Day. So move on to birthdays. It's Jesus again, isn't it? Oh, oh shit. No, I got that one down. I wrote Santa. (laughs) 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 I made a terrible error. Uh, There are other people who are famously born on Christmas Day. Tell us some of them. 1766, the Welsh non-conformist preacher, Christmas Evans, was born. It's a good name. It's like, oh, God, what should we call this baby? They're just looking around the room (laughs) desperately for clues. Um, Chair, cup, tinsel, face, no. Of course of course, in his own village, he was known as Evans the Christmas rather than... <laughs> 1899, Humphrey Bogart was born. Uh, we all know Humphrey Bogart's real name was Cary Grant. No. Oh, wait, no, that's 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 a different fact. I'm thinking of Humphrey Bogart's real name. Do you know where it is? No. It's Humphrey Bogart. His real name is Humphrey Bogart. Oh, there we go. Yeah, (laughs) it's true. It's a a fun Christmas fact that you can take (laughs) to the Christmas table and tell everyone on Zoom, obviously. 1906. (laughs) Oh, you've missed the start of the one show. Baron Grade, Lou Grade, of course, uh, was born. Uh, he was responsible for loads of all sorts, basically. They came from the stage and they went on uh, ATV and the films and the muppers. Indeed. 1908, Quentin Crisp was born. Yeah. Uh, and do you know, uh, it's something that came up in the research of my 90s TV book. Hmm. He did the first Channel 4 alternative Christmas message, ah. which was the alternative Queen speech then, because, you yeah, know, yeah. The, after that, it's, it's very strange. The first few years. Yeah. You had uh, the varied likes of, you had Ali G. Oh, yeah, I remember that one. And you had Jesse Jackson. I do not remember that one. No, he did the, the, the second one. Then it was Bridget Bardot. And then it was uh, uh, Rory Bremner as Princess Diana. So... <sighs> no. A difference a year makes. Indeed. Uh, 1924, Rod Serling, the creator of the Twilight Zone. And the Night Gallery. Don't forget the Night and, Gallery. And, and, and Rod Serling's Night Gallery, yeah. yes. How could I forget? <laughs> night 44, Cuddles himself, Kenny Everett. Born uh-huh. and uh, is forever beloved of me and thanks. <laughs> Good. Night 54, Annie Lennox. I, I, I did a respectful nod there, despite the fact this is an audio medium. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it didn't work. No. That's all. Uh, and also, on the same day, 1971, Dido and Justin Trudeau. You better have a system. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, on to one of our final votes. We asked you uh, in the in the past times, it's, I think it was called November, I don't know. I yes. think it's still like March the 242nd currently. But, that's it, that's the one. Yeah, and we asked you for your best Christmas telly. And what was it, Phil? It was only Fools and Horses, Ben. Brilliant. Moving on, uh, we're going to go to our first clip now. <laughs> Uh, in the selection box of mini podcasts. This is one of my all-time favourite shows. This comes out every other Saturday and mixes The Simpsons and modern history. Indeed. Which shouldn't work and really, really does. Yeah. It always makes me laugh a great deal. Here's Gareth and Tom with a miniature Retrospecticus. <laughs> Hey 
Hey, hey, Christmas listeners. I'm Gareth Hirons. And I'm Tom Williamson. And welcome to a very special Christmas Retrospecticus. The Simpsons Modern History and Christmas, together at last. In most editions, we discuss an episode of The Simpsons and a major historical happening from the time the episode first aired in the US. You'd go where we went. Jingle what we jangled. Enjoy 30 noggy days when we... No. No, just hard no on eggnog. In fact, no nog, period. <laughs> ah, but today, we're doing something a little bit different. Well, what I thought we'd do is have a look at the top five communist dictators from the 1980s. Super festive. <laughs> to keep things both festive and Simpsons, I'll be tying in some Christmas specials from important times in these leaders' reigns and telling you when, if at all, they appeared in The Simpsons. It's basically backwards retrospecticus, and it's tenuously themed fun for all the family. At Christmas! So Tom, without further ado... Who's your fifth best communist leader of the 80s? Well, I don't know if best is the right word, but sort of impactful, shall we say. So at number five, there is Erich Honecker. So in 1971, the Soviet Union had the East German leader Walter Ulbricht removed and replaced by his former understudy, Erich Honecker. Honecker was made first secretary of the Socialist Unity Party, with that title being changed to general secretary in 1976. His leadership saw a rise in living standards and a foreign of tensions with the West, but also saw an increase in political repression under the notorious Stasi, who were under the command of Eric Mielka. He also enforced the order to fire policy in regards to the Berlin Wall, and under his leadership, 125 people lost their lives trying to cross it. Pictures of him were everywhere in East Germany, and he was known as Uncle Eric. Honecker was ousted from the leadership by the party mere weeks before the Berlin Wall fell in 1989, ostensibly due to health reasons. He died of liver cancer while exiled in Chile, aged 81. Uncle Eric's last Christmas in power was 1988, when in America he could have seen the special Christmas in Tattertown, a pilot for a Ralph Bakshi animated series that was never made, with the frankly terrifying premise that there is a place where everything that's been thrown away comes to life. Or, if he could pick up the BBC from East Germany, he could have seen the incredibly festive Bread Christmas Special, Christmas with the Boswells, where they all go to Rome for reasons. <laughs> and he died on May the 29th, 1994, so his last Simpsons episode was ten days earlier. Season 5, episode 22, Secrets of a Successful Marriage, which aired ten days before his death. Right, we're rolling. Hit me with number four. Right, number four is Enver Hoxha. A former partisan, Enver Hoxha became Prime Minister of Albania following elections in 1945. He and the Communist Party set to work in wiping out all opposition to them, and Hoxha ruled Albania until his death in 1985. So he was in charge for 40 years, which is why he's on this list. The country was pretty much closed off, and political dissent was crushed by the Sigurimi secret police. In terms of The Simpsons, Hoxha lends his name to Adil Hoxha, the Albanian child spy who we talk about in episode 11, The Crepes of Lothar de Mezier. Hoxha died in 1985, so his last Christmas was 1984, when he could have seen the US Christmas special of everyone's favourite sitcom, Buffalo Bill. No? Uh, oh, okay, so th this was the story of a cranky talk show host called Bill, from Buffalo, New York. So it's not just a clever title. And the Christmas special was the bafflingly titled have yourself a very degrading Christmas, <laughs> in which he is promised a one-night stand with a model 
if he wears a Santa suit on air. Truly, at one stage, they would make a Christmas special of anything. Number three? Number three, the great reformer, Mikhail Gorbachev. Yay! So Gorbachev took over as the general secretary of the Communist Party in 1985, following the deaths of his predecessors. His tumultuous tenure saw the breakup of the Soviet Union, starting with the Seeding Revolution in the Baltics and finishing with the final dissolution on Christmas Day 1991. OK, well, this one's easy for a Simpsons link, because he has a walk-on at the end of Season 7, Episode 13, Two Bad Neighbours. But should he have turned to the West for entertainment in 1990, his last Christmas in power, he could have seen Dolly Parton, Christmas at Home, a show that was essentially an advert for Miss Parton's recently released album, Home for Christmas. Or if he couldn't pick up ABC, he could always go for the BBC and watch uh, another Christmas with the Boswells, in which there is a protest to save the liver birds, assumedly the monuments and not Carla Lane's previous sitcom. <laughs> Into the top two, then. OK, we're cheating a bit here because we're talking about Yuri Andropov and Konstantin Chilenko. Now, I know they're technically two people, but their tenures of the leadership of the Soviet Union were so short that they often get lumped together. So prior to Andropov, the Soviet Union had been under the leadership of Leonid Brezhnev, you know, the one with the big eyebrows. He overthrew Nikita Khrushchev in 1964 and kept power until his death in 1982. He was replaced by former head of the KGB, Yuri Andropov. Just five months into the job, Andropov was diagnosed with kidney failure. He died on February the 9th, 1984, having been in power for just 15 months. As for Konstantin Chinenko, well, he was practically dead when he was appointed. He struggled to read the eulogy at Andropov's funeral, rarely attended Politburo meetings, and died in March 1985, having ruled the country for just 11 months. Chinenko did make one decision that was fundamental to Simpson's law, though. He was responsible for the Eastern Bloc's boycotting of the 1984 LA Olympics. And should Andropov have monitored the enemy's television in 1982, his first Christmas as Paramount leader, he'd have seen a theme emerging. There was not only a Happy Days Christmas special, All I Want for Christmas, it's the one where Fonzie goes, hey, and does a motorcycling, probably, but also a special from spin-off, Jody Loves Charchi. Meanwhile, over on the BBC, there was a Last of the Summer Wine special, How to Ignore Christmas. A rare find, that. They've only done 24 Christmas specials, three New Year specials, and the Millennium special. In each of those episodes, including the one we're talking about here, they all roll down a hill in a bath, as that happened in every single episode, and you'll never convince me otherwise. <laughs> so, Tom, top of the tree, who's number one? Drum roll. Right, number one is Nikolai Ceausescu. So in 1965, Nikolai Ceausescu became the General Secretary of the Romanian Communist Party. One of his first acts was to condemn the Warsaw Pact invasion of Czechoslovakia in the Prague Spring of 1968. This made him the darling of the West, with him being dubbed the Good Communist and welcomed by various Western powers. At home, he led a life of ridiculous indulgence while his people went hungry. He had a huge palace built that was three times the size of Versailles, and he and his wife Elena Ceausescu spent lavishly. Elena tried to sell herself as a scientist, despite not being able to say CO2 correctly. Eventually, the Romanian people turned on him. He gave a speech in Bucharest in December 1989, where thousands were forced to attend, at roughly the same time as Simpsons roasting on an open fire first aired. 
An extraordinary sequence of events led to the Ceausescu's being arrested and executed by the army on Christmas Day 1989. If you'd like to learn more about these events, you can do so by listening to the very first episode of Retrospecticus, Simpsons Roasting on a Romanian Revolution. Well, who could have seen that coming? My tasks have neatly intersected. As of course, this time, the Christmas special was The Simpsons. So it just remains to say thank you to Ben and Phil for having us, a Merry Christmas to everyone listening, and a hearty festive. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts, and follow us on Twitter at underscore Retrospecticus. Don't forget the underscore, because we certainly can't, to all and sundry. And really, isn't that the real meaning of Christmas? The answer is no. Yep, and Merry Christmas from me as well. Bye. Hi Ben, hi Phil. Merry Christmas from Switzerland, your pastry pal, Chris. Hello Ben and Phil. This is Simon Hart, and I would just like to wish you both a very Merry Christmas and say thank you very much for making me laugh all through the year. And I've really enjoyed the chart then calendar. No, I can't say it properly either. Anyway, take care, and I hope you both have a lovely Christmas, whatever you end up doing in this difficult time. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas, Phil and Ben from Christine. Uh, Thank you for keeping us sane throughout this horrific year. I hope you have lovely Christmases and happy 40th birthday, Ben. And yeah, happy 2021. I hope, Phil, you kick some festive shoes on the roof. Bye. Hello, Gary here from the Big Beetle Sort Out podcast, Paul's brother. So in some ways, your theme tune's uncle. Just wanted to say to Ben and Phil and all your listeners, a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, and well done on chart venting us all the way through December. It's been a joy. Bye. Hello there. It's Victor Hugo here, Frenchman and author of Les Miserables and that cartoon about the burglars. I just want to say, Happy Christmas, Ben and Phil and all your listeners. And if you do go for a walk this Christmas, remember to close gates behind you and observe the country code. Au revoir. Oh, I, I enjoyed that tremendously. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm sat here in my pyjamas, uh, just one knacker out because it's Christmas. And I've, I've eaten my festive gin, and, and it's lovely. Are you feeling festive yet, Phil? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's Christmas, uh, isn't it? I can't not be feeling festive on, on Christmas Day. Well, you said that, but I saw a documentary series called The Grinch, and it, it ended all right, but for a time it was a very touch and go. Well, no, no, Ben, it didn't end all right, because his heart grew two sizes, and your heart's not meant to do that. That's actually very bad for you. The Grinch had a congenital heart condition that he really needed treatment for, but that's just where the story ends. I mean, so. I'm really glad it was his heart and not his penis that grew two sizes that day. Why would that his penis have, Christ- have grown two sizes? Because he were happy it was Christmas! Also, also, what are the standard penis sizes, Ben? Well, If it grew two sizes. Two shoe sizes, I understand. Hey, <laughs> hey, hey. It might not wear shoes, but mine's at least a foot. Look, I'm just getting you prepared it's for not. dad jokes. Just, just getting you prepared for Christmas dinner. If you are listening to this before. If you go to Christmas dinner and your dad makes jokes about the size of his penis, find another family is my, my humble suggestion. I did. <laughs> Fair. Uh, it's not much of a gift, is it, really? But I'll tell you what is a gift, and that's 
gifts. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is some gifts. It's not a gift. Oh. Yeah, it's, oh. it's, it's, you're making me get all semantic. Oh, we don't get semantic at Christmas. Uh, to, unless you are head of the National Semantics Association, which case is never a day off. But we asked you, as part of that vote I mentioned earlier, for your best present ever. Yes. You came through absolute blinders. Uh, so we just thought we we're going to read them out one at a time because there's some excellent stuff in here. Yes. And Phil's going to start with... With a seven-year-old Ford Fiesta. Which is a good car. I like those. They're good. Micro Machines toolbox that folded out into a cityscape. Nice. Home computer. I like that it doesn't specify what sort. Just any. No, just, just home computer. Yeah. That's just standard. Uh, and following on from that, Sinclair Spectrum Plus 2. 1987, first computer, gave me a career and a hobby. Thank you, Sir Alan. I like the fact in that order. And that's followed by the Amiga 600, which oh, is... Controversial for me. It's, it's the worst uh, Amiga... But it is still good because it's still an Amiga. That's interesting, that because I was bought an Amiga 600 for Christmas, mm. and my uncle made my dad take it back because all of the very legal boxes of games that he had <laughs> yeah. wouldn't play on it. That's your kickstart. That is your kickstart, Rob. Yeah, yeah. Uh, here's a story. One year, a family friend's kid was selling off all his Star Wars stuff, and my parents bought the lot. I don't remember everything I got, but there was definitely a Millennium Falcon and a ton of figures. I think an X-wing too. Either that or the Christmas when my mum bought me and my wife a new vacuum cleaner. I was so happy with it. It was the moment I realised I was a proper adult, which is a depressing event in anyone's life. (laughs) And for me, I just went, nice, yeah, new vacuum cleaner, sweet. (laughs) Did you have any Star Wars stuff, Ben? I had had Boba Fett's ship one year. No, just a vacuum cleaner. (laughs) Fair enough. Let's keep going then. Uh, Whack Attack. It was on my list, never got it. Hang on. That can't be your best present ever if you didn't get it. That doesn't count. I mean, also, no. begs a lot of questions. Move on. But as it's Christmas, yeah. I'm not going to ask them. Orville the Duck! I was three. Was it the original, do you think? Is that why he stopped appearing on telly? Uh, maybe. Uh, a five-inch Winnie the Pooh that I took with me the year I studied in France that reminded me not to worry about situations and do my best with whatever came up, just like Pooh Bear. Uh, I hope it also reminded you to eat lots of honey to the point where you get stuck in someone else's house. That's that's and, and trousers. That is de- yeah. de- de- definitely trousers as well. <laughs> uh, Would have been a Mister Frosty if Santa had responded to the endless requests year after year. It doesn't. It doesn't. Uh. It's not quite the same. It's no. not. It's not right. Moving on. Sega Mega Drive. I've got Super Nintendo with Super Mario World. Um, those were also good. Yeah. Uh, okay. Nineteen ninety TV VCR and keyboard, which were all clearly stolen. <laughs> Good work. There's <laughs> a Dymo label. Property <laughs> of the King's Head. Ah, <laughs> uh, the real Ghostbusters Ecto One. Nice, nice. Nice. Uh Star Wars Imperial Troop Transporter. I'm gonna check what that is. I don't know what that is. I use I assume it's a transporter for when you when you reach the Imperial level of trooping. It's like a it's like a bus. It's like it's an Imperial nice. bus. There we go. Anyway. An imperial bus. Yeah. <laughs> Let's keep going. Keep going. <laughs> I don't know. I'm into it. Uh, mid-80s, I got a five-foot snooker table. Best thing I ever owned as a kid. Those were good. Yeah, Those yeah. were popular. I can imagine. That's, yeah. Uh, My Little Pony Lullaby Nursery. A ColecoVision. Maybe because I've got a weird thing for loving unpopular consoles. <laughs> I, I had a Commodore Plus 4. 
Oof, I'm, I'm terribly sorry. Uh, perfection. That's the the pop up game, isn't it? Yeah. That's what you, you got to put the things in the things before the thing. In the things the thing. things. You, yeah. Yeah. The sort of thing you like. You like fiddly bits. Yeah. Timers and stuff. Uh, an Atari ST in 1989 stayed up playing on it so long I started hallucinating. <laughs> the, all those MIDI tunes that were just uh, just nah, too nah, good. Sweet. Okay, a gun that fired large white plastic balls because it was the first Christmas I remember, and my parents had told me they'd got something useful. A torch, as it turned out to be. <laughs> yeah, Merry Christmas is a torch. It's the last thing you hear before most accidents in the home concerning torches. <laughs> sure, that's a sentence. Uh, what's this? A trans Transformers. Just say it properly, all right? It's Christmas. Transformers Action Master Optimus Prime. Uh, now, I wish you hadn't said it because the Action Masters are still the worst idea that Transformers ever had. So. But that was someone's best. Present and you've just... it was, but it's a toy that it was a transformer that didn't transform, uh, and also an Atari VCS or the 2600s to you, they were the same. It was the same. Well, I did, it was to me the 2600. I got the plasticky yeah. one, yeah. uh, which I got that thing for Christmas '85. And looking back now, when that was kind of the era where America was going well for the Nintendo, mm. we had no idea there was a revolution just around the corner <laughs> at all. Well, we were mostly on, on 8 bit micros over here. Well. I think the Amiga yeah. was 85, wasn't it? So we were, that's the way we were going. So, yeah. um, a telescope, 1989. Game Boy. Bart Simpson on a skull and crossbones skateboard in 1991. It was a last minute spotted in a queue present bought by my late mum from our local post office. I was Simpson's mad. I still have him. Oh, oh, that sounds like it. That's good. Yeah, no, that sounds like I, I was obsessed with Bart Simpson then as well. Mm-hmm. I think many kids were. Uh, Ibanez bass guitar, second hand. Uh, Castle Grey Skull. A secret Santa gift that I use to this day, a bottle opener key ring. Nice. Uh, Smash Hits Yearbook 1991. Corgi Batman set, Batmobile Batcopter, and Batboat on a trailer. Nice. nice. This one, I don't. I mean, it's sort of a present. 2006, we sat and watched the TV series of Quatermass in the Pit and drank two bottles of gin. I don't know what part of that is the present, but I'm on board with it. I, I mean, I assume just a warm glow of gin. <laughs> 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 and finally, they're all great, but the ZX Spectrum Plus 2. I think means the only thing that we had multiple votes for was the ZX Spectrum Plus 2. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, wait, there's one extra one here that I've just got. It says, a small but perfectly formed episode of Round the Archives. Ooh. Well, I think we can provide that one, Santa. Excellent. Hello, it's Andrew and Lisa from Round the Archives here. Hello, we're just fishing, finishing off our Christmas special. Are we fishing off our, fishing Christmas, off special? our Christmas special? Yes. That too. Yes. But in the meantime, we thought we'd present our top five terrible TV Santas. Mm-hmm. And at number five, 1968, my first Christmas. Aww. So uh, imagine what I would have thought had I seen six dead Father Christmases on screen. Uh, it's Dad's Army. Mm-hmm. Everybody's come as Santa Claus. Yes. And they're doing PT with telegraph poles, aren't mm-hmm. they? It's actually not a bad sketch. No. You know, it's, it's reasonable no. enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christmas night with the stars. But unfortunately, the 1968 one is missing. Yes. And from around the archives point of view, that is fairly terrible. Yes. Next up, The Father Christmas Affair, 1976. Mm-hmm. Are you being served? Yes. We all know this one, I think. Uh, yes, one scene never forgotten. Ho, 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 little boy. Have I got a surprise for you? It's it's the mechanical Santa, isn't it? Whose coat Mm. is stitched to his arms so that when he does the sort of 
welcoming arms thing, his coat flaps open and Mr. Humphreys faints. I don't know why Mr. Humphreys faints. What does he see? <laughs> Is it an anatomically correct Santa Claus? I don't know. Can you see little Santa like waving, waggling in the in the breeze? Well, possibly it's just the shock. Yeah. But it has to be said, when it comes to Christmas in Are You Being Served, mm-hmm. it's by no means the the worst thing. No. It is at least something we can talk about, isn't it? That bit is, yes. Yeah. Moving on, number three, Rent a Santa, mm-hmm. 1979. Yes. Fantastic episode. It is. But it's a year late. It is. Because of a BBC strike. Mm-hmm. So if you were waiting for Father Christmas to arrive in real life, I don't think you'd be happy if he turned up a year late no. saying there was a strike. Yes, the elves have gone on strike. But all the ghosts dress up as Father Christmas, yes. don't they? And I'm just imagining if you wrote to Mr Claypole mm-hmm. and asked for some Transformers or something, mm-hmm. what you'd really get in, in real life would be a load of metalwork with all sparks coming out of it, <laughs> yes. wouldn't it? <laughs> yes, he's very literal, Mr yeah, Claypole. So he would not be a good Father Christmas in real life. But no. yeah, still still a good episode yes. and, and well worth seeking out. And we did an article on it last year, I we think. We did, yes. So I've got to get the plug in. Mm-hmm. At number two, bit of an unusual one, this. Yes. Softly, Softly, The Bombay Doctor from 1967. Mm-hmm. Not a Christmassy episode, really. Not at all, no. Except no. they've crowbarred in mm-hmm. a scene with Stratford Johns being made to wear a Santa costume. Yes. For no real good reason, is no. it? Well, it is Christmas and it's meant to be um, his superior doing it, but he's... He's sort of swapped places with him. Yeah, this is CJ, of yeah. course, from uh, yeah. Reggie Perrin, making yeah. him put on a Santa costume. So, yeah, he wants him to be uh, Father Christmas for the kids. But you can just imagine, I mean, he's not in the best of moods mm. when he's told he's got to do this. He's just going to be a really grumpy Father Christmas. I mean, Barlow's niggly at the best of times, isn't yes. he? But he is incredibly angry having yeah. to do this. Yeah. And I just imagine a, a load of like, crying children. They'll be shouted at by Father Christmas. <laughs> by the and, end of the day. And, and thrust a rubbish present. Mm. I, you'll have it and like it. <laughs> but I think number one has to be mm-hmm. Dusty Bin. Yes. For the 1979 Christmas special. Yes. So interestingly, uh, the same year as Renter Santa. Mm-hmm. Now, this is before Dusty Bin has been robotised, yes. isn't it? If you'll pardon the expression. <laughs> or mechanic, mechanicised. Me- so word. he has to be wheeled on by Karen Palmer. Yes. And yeah, the he, lovely Karen Palmer. Is, is, okay, if you say so. Well, that's what Ted says. Okay. Well, Ted would know. Mm. And yeah, he's, he's got the beard and all that. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's a fairly star-studded episode. Yeah. What have we got? Bill Maynard. Mm-hmm. You've got Terry Scott. Yeah, Wilfred Bramble. And the Crankies. And the Crankies. And the poor couple that get through to the, to the end. Yes. What was it? Angie and Eugene. And Eugene. <laughs> Yeah. It looks a bit like um, Tony Selby. Yeah, they come all the way from Norwich. Norfolk, Norfolk yeah. yeah. And they get to the last two prizes mm-hmm. and they reject one. Yeah. And they reject the car, don't yes. they? Yes. And then on Christmas Day, mm-hmm. they win the bin. Yes. Yeah. And 
God, he looks angry, he doesn't does it? Look Eugene in- looks like he's going to lamp Ted at one yeah, point, doesn't he? Looks he looks really niggled. And of course, these days, if you won the bin, which is the sort of star of the show, yeah. you'd win all the other prizes. Yeah. That's what they but do no, now. You're taking home a bin, yeah. some money, yeah, and a radio. A radio mm-hmm. and a cuddly bin. A cuddly bin. You remember those sort of cuddly bins? <laughs> I do. It's like it's like he's an albatross round your neck on Christmas Day, isn't it? Yeah. So there we go. Have a happy Christmas. Yes, happy Christmas to all of you at home. And uh, we we better get on with ours now. Yes. See you then. Bye bye. Bye. And now on BBC One, to save you the bother of actually watching the bleeding thing, here's tonight's EastEnders Christmas special in forty-five seconds. Pilot out for the first time. Here, you question them all, pub. Oh no. I just sat on the dog. Hello, and welcome to Looks Unfamiliar, the program that members with Alf was an alien from Belmont. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to say when, when Alf was on. <laughs> I mean, it was. It was on. I seen it. Yeah. Uh, I also seen it was Tim Worthington, who is our guest for a very special miniature Looks Unfamiliar, a podcast he makes. And where can they find it, Tim? They can find it at timworthington.org. And yes, I did see Alf, and it wasn't quite as bad as Small Wonder. No, but then again, what was? <laughs> Um, I mean, to be fair, our resident robot, big fan of Small Wonder. <laughs> you know, go, go figure. Unpleasantly so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bleep, blue, slow. No. 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 Get out, robot. No. Get out. No, that's right out. So, uh, Tim, we, we asked you to bring something like like a miniature version of your show where people bring oddities that only they seem to remember. What have you brought to our miniature Christmas table? Well, this is something that for years and years I only knew as Thing with Cliff Richard in. That's how I referred to it. I didn't know anything more about it, and it took me years to find out what it was. Thing with Cliff Richard, I mean, that could be so many items, including custodial. <laughs> No, no, it couldn't. No, no, it should be. I it mean, explicitly uh, oh can't. Yeah. Stop oh it. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Ten helicopter away. Oh. Cancel it, lads. Yeah, well, this is something I saw by chance on Christmas Eve in 1982. But I mean, I would not have seen it had I been at home. Point, but. I was round at my grandparents who lived in the council tower block a couple of streets away from us. They were an ITV household. We were, we weren't really, we were all BBC, but they very much, I remember, because I used to go round there all the time, that they, remember them having hysterics, things like home to roost and getting really excited and winner takes all. Even sometimes when I was round there, because I had the propensity to fall asleep in front of the TV, it would be just getting up to Granada's late night horror slot, which had a brilliant card before it with like really mismatched drawings like a mummy and Dracula and so on and the word brrrr across the bottom and I'd be sitting there thinking oh great slurp slew time for some hammer horrors and then inevitably my parents would turn up to collect me straight away but 
I was around there on Christmas Eve, and I just had ITV on. And it's this very un-ITV-like program on, a really kind of slow, reflective thing about... It seemed to be about a family celebrating Christmas throughout, the, I think it was the 1800s into the 20th century, but the family remained it, the it same. It usually is. They just changed time period. I mean, there are all these performers coming on doing little bits and pieces, and the son of the family picked up a kaleidoscope, looked through it, saw lots of letters jumbled up, which, you know, you don't see through kaleidoscopes, which kind of drifted away to reveal Cliff Richard doing Little Town, which is his then currently in the charts version of Oh Little Town of Bethlehem to the completely wrong tune, mm. which already really annoyed me. If anyone has not heard it, he goes like, Oh, little town of Bethlehem. And this dreadful trumpet goes, that, That's all you need to know, really. I was just thinking, why is this on? Correctly. What's the point of it? <laughs> it was a weird contrast between that, the slowness of it, the oldie timeliness of it. And my grandparents really went overboard with decorations in their flat. I mean, that was one of the reasons I really looked forward to going around at Christmas, was, you know, you'd have all this mad ITV stuff blaring out and then glitter and tinsel and everything everywhere, about eight Christmas trees of varying sizes. But this just stuck in my memory because I couldn't understand what it was. It had a song I hated in it. It had a kaleidoscope that wasn't a kaleidoscope, which really annoyed me. When I got home, I tried to find out what it was. and Because as you know, I'm from a really large family. The Christmas radio and TV times, it was a nightmare trying to get hold of them. You know, somebody would always have it and they wouldn't give it up till they finished looking and so on and so on. And I didn't get to look it up that night and I forgot to find out what it was called. For years, I didn't know what it was. I just called it Thing with Cliff Richard in. Nobody had a clue what I was talking about when I mentioned it. Correctly, again. <laughs> yeah, but then one day I thought, it was in the early days of the internet, I found out it was called A Christmas Lantern. It's a very memorable title, obviously, <laughs> what with Christmas and lanterns, you know, that traditional... Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Ha- Halloween, <laughs> definitely. I mean, I, I, I like the idea that there was a, a regular lantern series and this was the Christmas special. <laughs> <laughs> Spend your Christmas holiday here on ITV. All sorts of people will be dropping in to join us. And on Christmas Eve, you can join me for an even more festive-than-usual edition of Punchline. And that's followed by A Christmas Lantern, capturing the spirit of the occasion in music, dance, and comedy. On Christmas Day, Ted Rogers sets in with 3, 2, 1. Yay! Leave me back, fellas. Like a chicken <laughs> And if you play your cards right, you can celebrate with Bruce. There's the British television premiere of The Black Hole, a film for all the family. And join Chaz and Day down at their local. But the thing was, which I haven't really said so far, the really weird thing was, I don't understand what this was doing on at prime time on Christmas Eve on ITV. It was more like something you would see on a Sunday evening, like, I don't know, Young Sherlock, which was on around the same time, or not quite Highway. It was slower than that, believe it or not. I do not believe it was slower than Highway, because Highway is is a meandering mess of a programme that has (laughs) no objective and takes an eternity to reach it. When you said you were going to talk about this, Tim, I did some looking around, and you're right. There's barely anything. There, there is like the TV Times description, and that's about it. And I don't. Why was this on a Christmas Eve? Did ITV have nothing else? I mean, it's possible. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest. You know, you got Cliff Richard, Eunice Stubbs, Mike Reed, as in the 
can you say the acceptable Mike Reed? Because ironically, the one that used to be the unacceptable one is now the more <laughs> acceptable one. Robert, Robert Hardy. But there's all these people that you've never heard of. Who is Tom Young? Who are the Ambrosian singers? Who's Peter Salmon? Karen Berry? Who are any of these people? I'm most interested in Jeff Unkovich, because that's a good name. <laughs> that's... <laughs> Claude Paul Henry, which yeah. is basically like Benny from Crossroads to the Beret on. <laughs> I've had a look at what was on the other side uh, on BBC One they were showing 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea uh, the Walt Disney version it's good that. Uh, yeah. which was followed by Christmas with Terry and June uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're right patron saints of this programme yeah yeah. it's not Christmas without Alan Cuthbertson is it <laughs> well no I believe that's what uh, they said on the uh, Quality Street tins it said <laughs> it's what it's, it's but in nice font it was the subtitle of the Christmas Terry in June and it was accompanied with a picture of a furious looking Terry Scott <laughs> <laughs> falling through uh, a sun lounger there was a carry on film on BBC one do you want to guess which one it was Carry on some Christmas. Carry on some crisps. Car- car- <laughs> Screaming. Carry on up the Yule. <laughs> it was it was carry on, don't lose your head. Oh, Merry Christmas. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Henry the And on BBC Two, we had a service of nine lessons and carols from Kings. And then later on, the old grey whistle test presented Elton John. I don't know who to, but it's probably <laughs> there, there you go, there he is. Uh, at his peak in 1982, obviously. <laughs> oh, to do a little genie. Uh, you, you say, you know, you saw this at the time. Have you ever managed to find it to watch it again? And did you, if you found it? <laughs> and why? <laughs> I found an ITV Christmas promo from 1982 where the preview image on YouTube is 7pm, a Christmas lantern. And it's got a still picture of what appears to be Boise as a waiter vaulting over a a buffet table. So, 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 I take it to you've never seen it again since then. No, and I would love to, just out of curiosity, just to see how weird it actually was, because it stuck out like nobody's business in the middle of the Christmas schedules. I mean, it's kind of the opposite side of the coins of the black hole, really, which was stood out for different reasons. <laughs> I mean, they don't. That's what a black hole is. It's black. <laughs> uh, and if you're interested, uh, there are several Christmas lanterns available on sale on Amazon.co.uk. How much? I mean, the, the top one is $33.99. Right. But it is also a snow globe. So, you know, I, I, your mileage may vary. And also, I suspect from now on, all year round, I'm going to be getting emails saying, do you fancy that Christmas lantern like you're getting ones for gravy? <laughs> that is true. I feel like if you get a Christmas lantern that's also a snow globe, you're going to get uh, something that's not that good at being a Christmas lantern or that good at being a snow globe. You're better no, off getting... very much halfway out of crap. <laughs> you're better off getting single-use novelty items. <laughs> And there's nothing that says single-use novelty items like a feature on Don't Let's Start. <laughs> uh, thank you very much, Tim. As Tim says, you can find him at timworthington.org. And what is your Twitter? At OutOnBlue6. There you go. Thank you very much. And Merry Christmas, Tim. Merry Christmas to you both as well. Merry Christmas. Why did that sound like a threat when I said it? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Big Beatles Sortout. A show where I, author and musician Gary Abbott, normally score Beatles songs picked at random with the help of my Beatle guru and older brother Paul. But for this, the very specialist of special times, we are going to be taking a closer look at one of our side features on this Beatles day, 
where Paul is going to choose five festive days from Beatles history to tell us about, and I will score each one out of ten for that beard strokeability factor, which makes you go, hmm, that was interesting. So, Paul, hello. Hello. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to yees. I'm full of Beatles festivities. Oh, lovely. So, if I understand right, you're going to do us five days from the Beatles history. So, without further ado, let's do it. Starting on Christmas Eve, we have the 24th of December. We do. 24th of December, 1964 is my choice for this one. And that is the start of the second Beatles Christmas show, known officially as Another Beatles Christmas Show. This is thing that they do at the end of 63 and 64, where they have a residency in a theatre and they do these sort of two shows a night over a long period. In this case, it starts on the 24th of December, 1964, and runs through to the 16th of January, 65. Two shows a night, four days off. It's a lot of work over the time where now everyone's like, well, I'd like time off work, please. Mm. It's just a lot of work because they keep coming on for sketches and skits and spoofs and things like that between the songs. Mm. But I'll tell you who the lineup was for this particular one because it's lots of different bands and uh, performers. You've got Freddie and the Dreamers on there. You've got Sounds Incorporated. You've got Elkie Brooks. You've got The Yardbirds. Mm. You've got Michael Haslam, you've got the Mike Cotton Sound and Ray Fell. And all ably assisted by <clears throat> Jimmy Savile. Oh. Yeah. So the year before, they've got Rolf Harris on the bill. This year, they've got Jimmy Savile. Blimey, when was this? Back in? Back in 64. Oh, just, I always think of him as a 70s person. No, oh, he, he was around and being horrible for a long time, sadly. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Happy Christmasness. Okay. But I should mention, though, 24th of December, 1964, the Christmas number one, or the number one on that day, anyway, is I Feel Fine by the Beatles. Well, that's that's nice. <laughs> it is. And in the charts as well is Blue Christmas by Elvis, which is at number 11. So there's actually a Christmas song in the charts there hmm. as well in 1964. I, I didn't realise they did, did such a cabaret act, and I found that very interesting. Interesting enough to go... Hmm, that's very interesting. So I'm going to give that one 7 out of 10. Deducted score, a little bit, for Jimmy Savile. So next we have the day itself, Paul. 25th of December. And I have picked the 25th of December, 1962. During their final residency in Hamburg, where they're contractually obliged to be over there, they don't want to be there, but it happens over Christmas. They're obviously there for Christmas Day. So the way they choose to spend Christmas Day on 25th of December 1962 is they go to the British Seamen's Mission, which is a place that they'd often go because it had, you know, English-speaking people in it and yeah. they could get some food for fairly cheap. So they go and eat bowls of cornflakes and all that sort of stuff. Mm. But they go somewhere to have a hot meal. They have steak for Christmas lunch and apparently found out later that they were eating horse steaks. <laughs> right. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. It's a, it's a continental yeah, thing. Yeah, but if yeah. you don't know about it... Yes, yeah, you prefer to, your horse to be clearly labelled yes. on your on your lasagna, which is funny that even 40, 50 years later, that was to become such a big issue. <laughs> yes, <laughs> indeed. They're there whilst Love Me Do is working its way up the charts, heading on its way up to 17 at that point. But the number one for Christmas that year was Return to Sender by Elvis. And so Elvis again. Yeah, and the Christmas song that was really in the charts at that point was Rocking Around the Christmas Tree by Brenda Lee, which was in at number seven. It's a good one. Well, 
that's um, a, a nice little anecdote, but I'm going to deduct it points for um, accidental horse consumption. <laughs> for a bunch of famous vegetarians, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Six out of ten, just for that reason, but I've never thought about the fact that they might have been over there. Not very glamorous, really. No, not, not eating eating horse in a, in a mission. Boxing Day then, Paul, the 26th of December. 26th of December 1967 is the real obvious choice because that is the day that Magical Mystery Tour is shown on BBC One Uh, in glorious black and white. Now in full monochrome. (laughs) Yeah. And it's sandwiched between uh, This is Petula Clark and The News. Hmm. By and large, with the critical response, it's a complete lead balloon Mm. See, the day after it's broadcast so on the 27th of December 1967 McCartney's on the David Frost show justifying himself essentially oh right okay so quickly was it criticised and so mm. roundly that you know he felt the need to go and do this clearly his back's up and he's like oh what I'm going to go and justify myself I love the Magical Mystery Tour film yeah but it is everything people said it was shambolic almost by design <laughs> it had a, it was a circle on a piece of paper with some yeah. bits written in it and I guess Coming off the back of such well-executed films as as Help and and Hard Day's Night, people were always going to be ready to put the boot in, but they gave them reason to it. This is one of the few times that they did, really, but, you know, it couldn't have been helped by the black and white of it. That must have completely baffled people. It should have been a blast of Christmas colour, you know, and and perhaps if they'd have sold it more as this is a collection of Beatles music videos, essentially... And we've strung them together with a conceptual idea. It might have been better rather than this is our film and the idea that there might be a narrative there, which there isn't really. No, there's not, no. But there is some spaghetti and some stairs. And the bonzos. You get to see the bonzos. Yeah. That's good. But um, I'm going to give it eight out of ten, that one, Paul, because I feel sorry for the film. Okay, but just before we move on, Hello Goodbye was number one at that point in the charts. And the Magical Mystery Tour EP itself was at number three in the charts. But also, I looked down the top 50 of the official charts for this day. No Christmas songs at all in the charts that year. Okay, it's almost like they didn't care. So, 27th of December, Paul. 27th of December, 1960. It's the Direct from Hamburg show at Litherland Town Hall. This is the moment they burst back onto the Liverpool scene. They've come back from Hamburg, some of them having been deported, of course. Mm. The band could have fallen apart at that point. You know, Paul goes off and gets a job. What did he do? He was winding coils in a coil winding factory. I honestly did not know he ever had a job. And I don't mean that in a privileged way. I just thought that he transitioned straight from college into the Beatles. And there was no real break between the two. They all had certain aspects of little bits of jobs here and there. But none of them lasted very long. Even though at this point they, they sort of tipped him for someone who had, you know the potential perhaps to go into management after a while right and so he's he's doing that and then john and george turning up going we've got a gig you either come with us or you're out of the band and he's like right i'm over the wall right and they get a chap called Chaz newby in to play bass and they have a couple of shows after getting back from hamburg but this is the show where suddenly there's enough of an audience in the right place the right time enough of a Mm. mood the curtains open and they are just absolutely rocking the place Wow. It's the one where people were saying, oh, we thought they were German because it was direct from Hamburg was on the posters and stuff like that. But it's in Litherland Town Hall, which is a place I have been and visited, which is now a health centre. Okay. And I go in there and I'm like, it happened here. 
it happened here and it's like well there's reception over there and that's where you go for your bloods and that's and everyone's like get out it's that, yeah. man, it's that man again who keeps on coming in and shouting it happens here yeah it's true it's true that's happened a lot <laughs> so if you were to go back in time and try and create a world where the Beatles didn't exist that would be the day you might possibly have done it if you'd ever got hold of Paul and said but honestly not only do we think you're manager material you can be the manager if you don't leave now maybe that's where my life should go and that that's the end of it and let me just run down what was in the charts just to give you some context as well. We've got It's Now or Never by Elvis at number one. Elvis again, yeah. Yeah. Um, we've got some Christmas songs. At number three, Adam Faith has got Lonely Pup in a Christmas Shop. That classic. And at number six, it definitely is a classic, Little Donkey by Nina and Frederick. Ah. Oh. For identifying the time and place in history where the Beatles' career rested on a knife edge of probability, I'm going to give that one nine out of ten, Paul. Ooh. So, finally, we have an undated date around December it's, time. It's Christmas. Christmas 1958 cri- is the time An unknown of... Christmas date. Yeah. Okay. And so I think this is my best one, my favourite one here. Okay, well, we'll see. So, 1958, John is heading home from Paul's house. Okay. And later on, he tells Paul, he says, Look, I, I saw some mad people who were sat in their front porch playing cards at one o'clock in the bloody morning. Mm. Paul's like, what? People playing cards on their front porch. It's like, what? So in the evening, <laughs> the next mm. time he goes past where John's talking about, Paul's checking it out. And it's it's just, just an illuminated nativity scene in someone's front garden. <laughs> right. Because John never wore his glasses, did he? Oh, right. So yeah. he just... <laughs> just assumed it was some loonies playing cards on a doorstep in the <laughs> middle with of the a, night with a baby yeah and some animals and it reeked of myrrh <laughs> and for a second i was trying to remember what year you'd said in case john had been on the old funny blotting paper again <laughs> he was simulating that experience by simply not wearing his glasses it's, in the dark yeah. so i don't know exactly what the date of that was but i did check for the christmas charts this that time and at number one it was It's Only Make Believe by Conway Twitty. But number two was Hootsmon by Lord Rockingham's Eleven. Okay. Number 10 was Mary's Boy Child by Harry Belafonte. And number 25 was Winter Wonderland by Johnny Mathis. So there was some Christmas songs that year. And so there should be. And so there was. Good. So I'm going to give that one for funny short-sighted Johnness. 10 out of 10, Paul. Thank you. So that gives us our top five Christmas dates in the big Beatles dates sort out of the dates in Christmas time Beatles okay so thank you very much for that Paul that was very that's all right that was very interesting Beatles Christmas I know it was in our normal podcast you can hear us talking about this Beatles day and other Beatles things but mainly about the scoring of every single recorded Beatles song taken in random order five at a time each week until we're done I score them Paul gives me great interesting facts about them and you can find that at the big Beatles sort out on all your normal podcast platforms and on Twitter we are at big underscore sort. So thanks for joining us and have a wonderful Christmas time. Bye. Crimbo. Hello and Merry Christmas from BBC One. Just time to take a look at the schedule for what's coming up on the rest of Shrek's Eve. At 9am it's the BBC Shrekfast News, followed at 10 by Shrek's Under the Hammer. At 11am, The Gruffalo. 
meet Shrek. The winner, of course, going on to play Zog in the semi-finals. An old favourite at 2pm as we count down the year's biggest Shreks with Top of the Shreks. And at 3pm, Her Majesty the Queen, bracket Shrek. And then, at 3.10, it's the moment you've all been waiting for. All four Shrek films playing simultaneously at once. Later, we Shrek the Midwife, Mrs. Shrek's Boys, and we end with a Christmas classic at 11pm with the Markham and Shrek Show. And that's your day on BBC Shrek. I mean, what? In other news, I've hit my head quite badly. Can someone please sort an ambulance? Shrek! Ooh, oh, I love the Beatles, me, Phil. You know my favourite one of the Beatles is? Is it Ringo? No, it's Alan Cuthbertson. <laughs> yeah, Alan Cuthbertson was, was, of course, many say the fifth Beatle. Uh, I don't know why they say that. It's wrong. It's got nothing to do with it. No, mainly people in his house, to be honest with you. Is it him? It's mostly uh, him. Yeah. It's, well, yeah, I assume so. Hopefully, uh, Christmas Day is all right for you so far. I know a lot of us are spending the day on our own, which for many is a blessed relief, <laughs> which means you get to watch the television you want without anyone shouting over the top of it, Uzi! What's he doing? Why are the 15 Bradley Walshes on simultaneously? (laughs) There's a lot of Bradley Walsh this year. There really is a lot. (laughs) I don't have a problem with it, but it's just, there's quite a lot. And you know what? What? Very little Pasquale. (laughs) But what was your favourite of the Christmas specials that you'd be looking forward to this year had the second best character in it not died in 1994? (laughs) Um, I mean, you, you're leading me there, Ben. You're leading me. The, not necessarily. Your not question. necessarily. It, it is, could be is, Desmond's. Is, of course, the Terry and the June. <laughs> we, and well, it was you, you mentioned it. We, we briefly came up in the Looks Unfamiliar segment. And, yes. I, I, you know, I think if there's any running thing through our podcast in entirety, Terry and June seem to be bobbing their heads up like a very elaborate game of whack-a-mole in suburban... England. But yes, Terry and June had a lengthy run in, in the 80s. I think it's a lengthy penis. I'm going to say that wasn't it. Bad that. I've not looked into it. Let's assume it was no. penis. Um, but <laughs> Terry and June, can you remember what years it ran for, Ben? Uh, no. Okay. Hopefully this helps. <laughs> Terry and June ran. It was on for all of the 80s, wasn't it? It ran from uh, October of 1979 up to August 1987. How many Christmas specials do you think they had, Ben, during that time? Presumably, what, six? No, it had four. Um, Oh, okay. They had Christmas specials in 1980, 1981, 1982, and 1985. So we just skipped three years. Have three years off. Going to South Africa to spend bullion. <laughs> so it's, it's not like chart, so you know what we have to do, don't you? Yeah, we're going to do the top four best Terry and June Christmas episodes. Okay. We're going to list them in chronological order and then we're going to put them in, in order after that. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So we started with 80. 1980, yeah. 1980, I'm going to give you the capsule description. Malcolm buys BT a mink coat and asks Terry to look after it for him. June finds it hidden under the bed and mistakenly thinks Terry has bought it for her. That's it. 
That's the, that's the description. June found the coat and thought it was for her. I'm sorry. Oh, lummy. She gave me that music centre on the strength of... What a fabulous piece of hardware! And what, actually, did you get for her? Well... <laughs> this kitchen timer. Oh, how awfully useful. You can hang it round your neck. Don't give her any ideas. <laughs> yeah, because, because what you do if someone says, can you hide this for me, is you say, I'm, I'm just looking after this for, for Malcolm. Yeah. Um, sh- let's move on to the following year, yeah. to 1981. Yeah. Right. Malcolm's continuous affairs with younger women cause a bust-up between oh. himself and Beatty when he receives a Christmas card from another woman. This is a sitcom. This is a comedy. Terry and June is necessary. This series is called Terry yeah. and June. That's right, isn't it? Because two of these have been very heavily Malcolm-based. Very, very heavily Malcolm-based. But also, this is the plot for, like, uh, a Mike Lee play for today. This yeah. is not. Yeah. Uh, of course. Don't forget that cheating on your wife was hilarious <laughs> in the 80s. As long as it's with younger women, it's fine. It's allowed. And then we all went, whoa, whoa, what a chap. And then his uh, pipe fell off. <laughs> Not his personal pipe, obviously. <laughs> I mean, may- maybe. maybe. We don't know. Maybe. Maybe that was a problem. We So so far, 1980, coat. 1981, affair. Infidelity. Let's, <laughs> let's move on to 1982. Okay. What's Malcolm done this time? <laughs> no, it's not Malcolm this time. Oh. Uh, although he is involved. So Dennis Hodge wrongly assumes Terry has invited him to Christmas lunch. I don't know how you wrongly assume that. Oh. I don't know how that happens. So uh, I think... just put that down in my diary. You, uh, Christmas Day, three o'clock. Then what? No, 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 no. I, I was, I, I was, I was just wishing you a merry Christmas. Hope you had a nice time. I'm, I'm sorry, oh. I've got plans. Oh, oh. I said the credits come up twenty eight minutes early. You know. <laughs> Again, it, I love and hate farce. The thing is, I've seen some Terry Dune and some really smart dialogue between them. In fact, that Christmas, the, the 1981, half of it is just them talking about Christmas and chatting and stuff. And it's well done, but it's when it feels the need to go, ah, then someone fell over. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's all right. It's like Last of the Summer Wine. It's like, there's like 25 minutes of well done character comedy dialogue. And then. An old man Com- must fall down a hill. Compo falls over, yeah. That's... Yeah, you know, <laughs> in a way, which looks incredibly upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> but but anyway, I've not finished the description yet. Oh, God. Things escalate when Miss Fennel and Malcolm and Beatty also invite themselves. How does that, how does that happen? Steady on. That's yeah. not... I don't know how that okay. happens. Uh, no. It ends up with Terry and June having a full house on Christmas Day. If you're June at that point, you say, Terry... Mm. No, no. This is our home, and it's Christmas Day. Tell them that they've got it wrong, and send them. Mm. Why would you? Yeah. Let's move on to the final one from okay. 1985, which has has a more detailed plot description. Ben, I'm going to warn you now. So Terry decides to do his own charity single for Africa. No, called, called no. Whatever. Oh. I'm glad that's oh, wait, that's sorry. what you but, came up but, with. But it's South Africa. <laughs> right. So, <clears throat> cracks knuckles. Oh God. So Dennis decides to organise the company's pantomime, Jack and the Beanstalk, this Christmas, and gets rid of any vulgar or rude humour from it. Terry turns down what, a role as he assumes the vicar will ask him to play Father Christmas. Please, no questions until after. <laughs> but Austin has already asked Tarquin. Tarquin, of course. Uh, 
is Alan Cuthbertson. Uh, Terry decides yeah. to take part in the company's <laughs> pantomime after all, and he and June play the cow while Sir Dennis plays the dame. Terry and June are in costume when the fire uh, alarm goes off, and in the confusion, they get into a lorry and end up in Wembley. They manage to get uh, back to that's <laughs> back to Purley just in time to go on stage, but unbeknown to them, Malcolm and Beatty are already on stage as the cow. So the big punchline for all of this is two cows. Cow. Two cows. <laughs> Is that it? Is that Two cows. We've gone from misunderstanding about court to elaborate, confusing pantomime trip to Wembley for some reason. Where is Pearly versus <laughs> Wembley? I'm going to have a look. I don't Pearly think I've ever seen Match of the Day have Pearly versus Wembley. Amazing. No, I haven't either. Uh, there, there are opposite ends of London, so it takes about an right. hour. I don't know why more people don't listen to the podcast. We get into all this detail about the logistics yeah. of the Terry and June 1985 Christmas special. Uh, yeah, about shit no one cares about in the slightest. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's the four. Yeah, Ben. Yeah, do me. Right. Let, let's let's put them into a top five. No, a top four. Top four because we haven't got no, five. No we, can, no, we can do it as a top five. Go on then. But there'll be nothing at number one. <laughs> <laughs> or at two, three, and four. They're all joint fifth. Yes. <laughs> All right, at four. Uh, 1982. At three. 1981. At... <laughs> 1985. Ah, the number one. 1980. There you go. Da, 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 Terry. Top of the Scots. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think of the people who've agreed to be part of this podcast who are now sat down listening to this going, I, I bitterly regret all the decisions <laughs> I made. <laughs> I deeply regret my choices, yes. Uh, and another person who is probably doing that right now is Daryl McLean, a very old friend of ours. Uh, we used Indeed. to do internet radio together. We know each other from tit forums and all that stuff. Yeah, Daryl became really well known on Twitter in uh, 2020 for his covers of TV themes done in the style of various pop stars because he's a genius when it comes to music stuff. And he has a fantastic monologue all about his time with the man they call... Santa Christmas. <laughs> I mean, they say it when they're wrong, obviously. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Hello, I'm Daryl McLean, and I'm going to tell you the true story of Father Christmas and me. Incidentally, what do you call Father Christmas? Santa Claus? Père Noël? The German story goes that Father Christmas's top-secret real name is Chris Kringle. However, one year... I didn't want to call him anything at all. Christmas 1993 I was eight years old, a difficult age for a boy, as most ages are, but that year I had stopped believing. There was chatter in the school playground, there were very few of us believers left, and I had finally succumbed to the cynicism. It wasn't long before this made its way back home, and my parents were distraught that they could no longer share with me the true magic of Christmas. And so, they cooked up a plan. It was about halfway through December. Our next-door neighbours had suddenly turned up for no reason with my friend Michael. We were all sat strangely rigidly in the living room as if we were waiting for something. Me, my parents, Michael and his parents. What were we waiting for? What were we doing? Were we going to watch a film? Were we going to go on a trip? Then, my dad beckoned us to the front window. 
We had a large front window that overlooked the street, and through the fairy lights we could see the street absolutely bucketed with rain. We continued to wait for about five minutes in an increasingly surreal Samuel Beckett-style scenario, where there were six people looking through a front window at a rainy street where nothing was happening. And then, all of a sudden, a dirty blue larder car skidded up at the front of our house with a dented front bumper. Out of the driver's seat, a middle-aged woman in casual clothes stood up in the pouring rain and shouted into the car. We all squinted into the passenger seat. There was something or somebody red sat in the passenger seat. The woman walked around the car and opened the passenger door. The something or somebody red immediately fell out of the passenger side and smacked his head on the pavement. After a brief yelp muffled by the pouring rain, the something or somebody red stood up. It was Father Christmas. A slightly wobbly and shaky and angry Father Christmas, but it was Father Christmas. Maybe he was real. What was going on? Why had he come to see me? The woman got back into the car. The man, who we were fairly certain was Father Christmas, knocked on the door. We let him in. Merry Christmas! He said. It's difficult to describe the smell that he produced. When somebody has been drinking spirits, they often emit a certain telltale odour. Father Christmas, for it was he, emitted a streak of spirit fumes so strong that if there'd been a naked flame anywhere in the house, the entire street would have gone up. All I could smell was whiskey. I was drunk. Nevertheless, Father Christmas was in my house. He wasn't walking as I expected Father Christmas to walk. In the cartoon and film versions of Santa Claus, I never remember him stumbling through a hall, nearly knocking pictures off the walls. Nonetheless, he made it into our living room and sat down on our couch. There were now seven of us. We all sat in terrified, awkward silence. So, <laughs> your parents tell me you think I'm not real. Well, I've come on the sleigh. The sleigh? It was a blue car. We'd all seen it. Not just a blue car, but a knackered blue car. I've come on the sleigh with Rudolph. Now, we know there was no Rudolph. It was a middle-aged woman in casual clothes. But let's carry on. Listen to what Santa's got to say. And we've come to tell you to still believe. Don't you pretend it was not real. We are very real and we're all this magic North Pole. Only an idiot could have fallen for this. I fell for this. So, what would you like for Christmas? I can't remember what I wanted for Christmas that year. It was probably a Super Nintendo or a VTech Master Video Painter, both of which I knew I wasn't going to receive. I think I probably said something like, Oh, can I have some plasticine like Wallace and Gromit? Well, we'll try very best to tell the elves and if you're a good boy. At that moment, my dad piped up. Would you like a drink, Father Christmas? Never had a question been answered so quickly. Clearly, he would. What have you got? Would you like a cup of tea? 
We've got, uh, you know, cola, orange juice. Got a whiskey. Oh, well, I'll have a whiskey. The North Pole warms me up. So we then sat there in almost silence for 15 minutes while Father Christmas sat on our sofa drinking quite a large measure of Bell's whiskey and slowly falling asleep. Father Christmas? What? What? You're falling asleep, Father Christmas. Oh, sorry. Um, Well, I'd better be getting back to the sleigh then. (laughs) We all watched as my dad and Michael's dad led Father Christmas down the hall, trying to make sure he didn't knock any pictures off this time. I say led, he wasn't walking. He was effectively by this point being dragged like a heavy suitcase, his Christmassy legs trailing along the carpet until he finally left our house. Wow, wasn't that magical, said my parents. Wow, the real Father Christmas came to see you and show he was real. I was amazed. As I said, I was a very gullible child. Shall we all say goodbye to Father Christmas and watch him go? So we all went through the window again to look at the dented blue larder that was clearly not a sleigh and the middle-aged woman that was clearly not Rudolph. She pushed him into the car in the same way that you might push a baguette into an Aldi bag. The door shut. The woman got in. The car stalled and sped off down the street. Christmas was saved and not for the first time. Christmas 1991. I was six years old, as ever, a difficult age for a boy. I was in class one at Bringates Primary School. The Christmas spirit was high in the air, it was the last week before the Christmas holidays, and it was a Christmas party in class. All three of the junior years and their teachers had been bundled together in one room for a chaotic Christmas party with about 90 people. We had a disco, we played past a parcel, we had a buffet. But the grand finale was a visit from Santa, and we would all get to sit on Santa's lap. I was quite excited. I'd never met Father Christmas before. I thought he was much too busy to visit Bringate Primary School. But he was coming here now, and I would get to meet him. I was thrilled. We all bundled into a giant queue. There were a lot of children, and only one Father Christmas. We waited very patiently, as patiently as any small children have ever waited for anything. That's the magic of Christmas. Nobody wants to be on a naughty list. Eventually, the doors opened and the man himself walked in. A sack of presents, the white beard, the red coat, the black boots, the ruddy red face. I recognise that ruddy red face. Now, everybody's version of the Father Christmas story is slightly different. My understanding of the Father Christmas story was that there weren't any helpers. There was only one Father Christmas and he was omnipresent, a bit like God. So there were either a real Father Christmas or a not real Father Christmas. This wasn't a real Father Christmas because I knew who this was. He lived in the avenue behind us and I sometimes used to see him when playing out. His name was Peter Smallwood. He did not live in the North Pole. He lived in a bungalow and was not remotely connected to Christmas, although he did have a lot of holly in his garden. We waited and waited. We waited some more and waited some more. Every child sat on Santa's lap, was asked what they wanted for Christmas, 
and was given a small die-cast toy card, which was nice enough, but not what anybody of us had asked for. It was almost my turn. The queue was alphabetical, so I was in the middle. When it came to my turn, I proudly walked up to Father Christmas and shouted in my best Christmassy voice, He's not Father Christmas! He's Peter Smallwood! The faces of everybody in the room turned several shades lighter. Not least Peter Smallwood. I don't know if you've seen the producers when they stage Springtime for Hitler and it cuts to the audience and everyone's there open-mouthed. Well, that's what happened that day. All the teachers and children with shocked, pale faces of abject horror. Shut up, you're not supposed to know! Spoiling it, he said. I was taken to the side and somebody had words with me. They couldn't really punish me as I hadn't done anything deliberately wrong and I hadn't said anything that was untrue. Nonetheless, I definitely burst into tears having realised I'd made a very, very big mistake. Naturally, I had to put this right. So, while another child was on his lap, I immediately walked back over to Father Christmas and said, Sorry, Peter! This didn't help. Now, what happened next, I can't exactly remember, but I can tell you that Christmas was saved in a miracle worthy of Frank Capra Jr. All I can tell you is that 90 school children in the north of England went home that day believing that they had indeed met the real Father Christmas, who was real and was really magical and who really lived in the North Pole and who really had a team of elves making toys and who really rode a magical sleigh pulled by reindeer and, best of all, contrary to what the Germans say, had a top secret real name of Peter Smallwood. Have a lovely Christmas and a hopeful new year and may Peter Smallwood bring you everything your heart desires. Bye bye. Thank you very much to Daryl McLean there for that yes. excellent monologue about his time. Genuinely howled at that first time I heard that. He's magnificent. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think we're going to hear a lot more of Daryl McLean in 2021. I, I certainly hope so. Quite right, too. Yeah. But, you know, obviously Daryl got very well known on Twitter for doing the pop music. He did. He's not done any Christmas versions. Oh. That's a cheap link into the final item on this week's show. That's good, because we needed one of them. <laughs> We did, we did. So, I've done a Christmas number ones quiz. It's a bit traditional, I know. I'm going to list some people who had Christmas number ones, and because it's Christmas, the season of joy and merriment, you need to tell me if they're dead. (laughs) Or alive. Right, okay. So, I'm going to give you the names, you know, and you tell me. Dead, dead or alive. So, we're starting with Cliff Richard. Alive. I've I've gone with sadly alive, yeah, <laughs> but yes, he's eighty this year. Winifred Atwell, Benny Hill, with Ernie, and he drew the fastest milk cart in the West. I mean, he's very, very yeah, dead. He's very dead. He's, he's he's been dead longer than well anything which is less than twenty eight years old. <laughs> <laughs> he is deader than anything that was on television on the 21st of April, 1992. <laughs> Good. That's that's a useful yeah. metric for our, our yeah, listeners. Yeah, yeah. So Harry Belafonte, who, of course, had Ooh. Mary's Boy Child, 1957. Ooh, that's a tough one. 
I think he's alive. I think he's alive. <laughs> he is alive. Yay. He's 93 years old. Please survive another week. Please survive another yeah, week. Yeah, we're going to we'll have to edit week. this so close to Christmas. Harry Belafonte, he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> Conway Twitty. Uh, it's only make believe was his. Uh, Ooh. Um, was his Christmas number one? Conway Twitty. Is, is is he is he an organ type man? Is that? I mean, he had some organs, I believe. You know what I mean? Did, did he did he play the organ? Are you asking? Did he donate his organs after he died? I, well, on that basis, I'm going to say dead. Yeah, he died in 1993. Uh, his birthday was Harold L. Jenkins, and he. He opted to go with Conway Twitty. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. If he just survived another t- 24 years, it would have been Conway Twitter. It would have been brilliant. Would it? No. Jimmy Osmond. Jimmy Osmond. Oh, he's alive. Long-eyed liver from Liverpool. He's alive. Like he, was in, he was in MasterChef not too long ago. I saw him. He was in MASH. <laughs> no. <laughs> he, he, he made some MASH. He did. Oh. On MasterChef. Yeah. Did he have any liver in it? Uh, <laughs> I don't believe he did anything with liver, no. I don't think he did. I call it my long-prepared liver from... <laughs> you don't want to prepare liver for no, long. No, you don't want to do that. It'll get all... he's, Yes, he's alive. He's 57. Johnny Mathis! Ooh. With hmm. his song, as we all know, When a Child Goes Back to Sleep. <laughs> I forgot that. Um, I'm going to guess... Dead. He's still with us. 85. Oh. Yeah. Jonathan, the production on that album is... Jackie Wilson. Reek Petit, of course, in 1986. Oh, he's dead. He's definitely dead. Uh, no. It was just some plasticine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he died, he died in January 1984. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Wasn't he dead when he when his Jackie Wilson the song came out? The uh, no, song? no, he was still alive at that point. Oh, okay. Just, just. Uh, right. I don't think it finished him off. Or I was. <laughs> <laughs> he saw that Jackie Wilson picture and that went gone. Uh, Rene and Renato, who of course had Save Your Love in 1982. I reckon Rene's dead and Renata's alive. Uh, I've just put some. <laughs> some of Rene and Renato is dead. <laughs> yeah, 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 you are correct. <laughs> okay, is this a person who did Lonely This Christmas in 1974? Ian Mudd! <laughs> is that his name? No. What's his name? Don't know. I think Ian Mudd is alive. I, I've just written down correct. <laughs> Bob the Builder! <laughs> He's dead to me! <laughs> there we go. That's not Neil Morrissey anymore. Uh, <laughs> the Beatles! <laughs> 50-50. I've just gone with, yes, some Beatles. <laughs> some Beatles. Some yeah, Beatles. Those go fine. Uh, Shane Ward. Alive. S- sadly, nobody knows. <laughs> and finally, Mr. Blobby. Ooh. Um, undead. Uh, Mr. Blobby is, of course, dead of... How <laughs> 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 you contract that, Ben? 
Totally contract it. <laughs> I was going to say from a blob transfusion, but that's... <laughs> Merry Christmas! <laughs> oh, oh, God. Is this how we're ending it? Is this... At what? As careers? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As careers as podcasters. Probably. With the death of Mr. Blobby. Yeah. That's how we're ending this. Yeah. It, the, there's only seven plots in life, and that's the third. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, that's it. That's all we have. I mean, probably if there's no legal proceedings anyway. <laughs> uh, dear, thank you to everyone who downloaded the bad vent, said lovely things and all that stuff, shared it, and bought my book as well. Loads of people shared my book links and stuff like that. So, thank you very much. And. It's been a weird year. Uh, we, really won't has. we won't lie. Uh, because if we did lie, it would be quite obvious. We're like, well, a fantastic year going outside and openly coughing in people's mouths, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> I don't I don't think I don't think people have been buying it, to be honest with you. No. No, I don't think they would. Oh dear. So uh, thank you to all our patrons uh, who uh, kept us going throughout the year. If you want to get part of the pastry polls, patreon.com slash dot let's chat and all that uh we've got to say thank you to paul abbott who not only did us a fantastic speak pipe in the middle he did when everyone else was a bit terrified of doing it but uh the theme tunes which people have been saying have been stuck in their heads all through december it's really good it really is uh he's at pavlovich on uh twitter and he's got of course his own podcast you've heard about the beatles big sort and uh hark and the head belly we should remember that one because that's the one we've both been on. I've been on it twice. <laughs> and thank you for all the TV information to Simon Tyres, who uh, we can find on, on the Twitters and everything. He, he does Sweep in the Nation. And he does Why Not YouTube as well on Twitter where he uh, uh, puts up really, really interesting clips and stuff. And I, I hugely do recommend you checking all of the above out. I mean, what what else are you going to do? What's Mrs. Brown's voice? <laughs> yes, apparently. For the next six years or so, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, so all that is to remain is that thank you to everyone who took part in this show. Yes. Find all of their podcasts on on the internet. So there's there's looks unfamiliar, Retrospecticus, around the archives, Beatles Big Sort, and uh, Daryl as well. Find him at Mac Lockdown on Twitter, uh, and that's it. But you know what? I've been enjoying that end credits bit so much. Let's hear it one more time, and maybe just maybe. Robot might make a final appearance. I say final, it's not. I ain't cashing in them chips yet. I, I'm, I'm pushing them into a skip at the nearest available opportunity. <laughs> Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas to everyone except that robot. You have been listening to Don't Let's Chat with Ben Baker and Phil Catterall. Ben produced it and the theme was by Paul Abbott, with thanks to Simon Tyres for research. Ben's new book about 90s Christmas TV is out now on Amazon and Lulu. Link in the bio. And if you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash don't let's chat. And now for a final word from our resident robot. Bleep bloop. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, which is Christ the Lord, and this shall be a sign unto you, 
You shall find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill to all men. Thanks.